You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. cannot exist together. In Hebrews 11 verse 1, it describes faith as certain of what we don't see. It's an absolute belief that God is constantly working behind the scenes in every area of our life. That's what faith is. I don't see Him working in my life all the time, but that doesn't mean He's not working. My faith tells me He is. You'll face circumstances in your life that will tempt you to fear and doubt in God, but God doesn't want you to live in fear. Today, Pastor Dave will encourage you to seek to live by faith, believe that God is able, that He's working, and that He's good. Don't allow fear to overpower you. Trust in God and watch Him work. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17, as he continues his message, Where God Guides, God Provides. tells Elijah, I've commanded a widow to provide for you. This was extremely humbling for Elijah. Extremely humbling. So the Lord was way ahead of him, making arrangements, and this is what the Lord does. When you follow the Lord by his word, when you are obedient to him, and you step out in faith, he continues to provide for you, and he's way ahead of you, setting things up, so as you walk through, you find things already there. You find things that he's already set things up, and that's what he's doing here. He's been providing for him. He's going to provide for him in a different way, but he's going to mold him and refine him for the work yet to come. You know, and sometimes, I don't know about in your life, but here in Elijah's life and in my life, God uses the most unlikeliest people in your life. The most unlikeliest people in your life to do his bidding. What we need to do is we need to accept God's provisions from whomever it comes from. We need to accept God's provision. That takes humbleness. That means lowering yourself a little bit and accepting God's provisions. And I think this is one of the things the Lord wanted to teach Elijah. He wanted to teach him some humbleness. We don't read where Elijah was a prideful man. We don't read that. We know he was a man of like passions. So he had that in him, as we all do. He was a man of like passions, which means he had the same type of things that we have. we got to give God thanks in all things. By humbling ourselves. So not only does the Lord send him to a widow, but it's a widow in a Gentile nation. So here is this prophet of God having to go to a Gentile widow. And she lived around Sidon, and Sidon just happened to be the home of Jezebel. 
the queen who wanted to kill him. <laughs> the queen was out to get him. So not only does he have to go to this Gentile woman, but he's got to put his neck on the line by going to a place which is very, very close to Sidon. This is very humbling for him. And it takes great courage on his part. But when God guides, God provides. When God guides, God provides. And I'll never forget the story. I think I mentioned it at one time when Elizabeth Elliot was leaving to go back and minister to the Indians that killed her husband back in the 50s. Somebody said, aren't you afraid? And she said, when you're being led by the Holy Spirit, there is no fear. When God guides, he provides, and that means providing all of your needs, your protection, everything that you will need. He will provide for that. As long as you're faithful to him, as long as you're looking to him and searching for him and keeping him at the forefront of your walk. Don't get ahead of him. Don't try to get ahead of God. Always walk one or half a step behind him. Let him always lead. My prayer for this church is that we will never get ahead of God. We will always be behind him and allow him to lead through his spirit. Always. Very easy to get ahead of him. Very easy to see something. You know, we want to do that. Let's, let's jump into it without praying and waiting. It's very easy to do that. It's scary. So it took courage on his part going into an unknown area, a place close to the clean queen's hometown, knowing she was hunting him. But he obeyed the Lord. And this is a crucial point I'm trying to make today. Elijah obeyed the Lord and God provided for him. This is a crucial point. This is the, the whole premise of what we're saying here. So look at verse 10. So he, Elijah, arose and went to Zerpath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. So he goes, he sees this woman gathering sticks for a fire. He strikes up a conversation with her and he says, may I have a drink? Does it remind you of Jesus? It reminds me of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. When everybody else went into town to get something, Jesus went up to the well and there was the woman. He said, give me a drink. It reminds me of that. But interesting enough, the lady says, okay, now water's scarce. Water is extremely scarce. But she goes, and while she goes, Elijah says, oh, yeah, and by the way, give me some bread. Let me have some bread. So look at verse 11. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So he says, thanks for the water, but yeah, give me some more, give me some bread, please. So she's gathering sticks so she can feed herself and her son and then die. That's what she says. She's gathering sticks so she can feed herself and her son and then die. Look at 12. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She was preparing their last meal. She was preparing their last meal that they would have because it was empty. The vessel was empty. There was nothing else left. Nothing else left. Left. She was preparing her last meal. An interesting fact here, though, is at this point, most of the scholars agree that the lady was not a believer in Jehovah. Even though God had commanded her, look what it says way back up, 
I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Even though God had commanded her to provide for this man, she was not a believer. There are several times in Scripture where the Lord asks someone else to do his bidding. In 2 Chronicles, the Lord is going to give orders to a pagan king, Cyrus, and he complies with the Lord's request and does his bidding. She also uses the phase which makes us believe that she's not a believer, your God. You know, the Jehovah, your God. It's it's your God. She realized Elijah was a Jew. Jehovah was his God, but not her God. And there's a difference there. Not yet. Not yet. So we see this happening here. And the Lord has set all this up. The Lord has set all this up so that Elijah would be provided for, but it's going to even go better than that. Let's look at 13 and 14. It says, and Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Bring it to me, and afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain to the earth. I like that. So she hears this. She hears this. He tells her. He prophesizes that the oil and the flour are not going to run out. He tells the woman what to do. But the first thing he says is, fear not. Do not fear. Elijah was trying to get the woman to have faith. He was trying to get her to believe in Jehovah God. In Jehovah God, the one true living God. Why? Because fear is the opposite of faith. Fear blocks faith. Fear and faith cannot exist together. In Hebrews 11 verse 1, it describes faith as certain of what we don't see. It's an absolute belief that God is constantly working behind the scenes in every area of our life. That's what faith is. I don't see him working in my life all the time, but that doesn't mean he's not working. My faith tells me he is. My faith tells me that he not only is, but that I can count that he is. I can count on him because God can be counted on. He can be counted on. So even when there's no tangible evidence for me to hold or touch or feel, I believe that God is working in my life. On the other hand, fear is basically unbelief or weak belief. It's either unbelief or weak belief. And as unbelief gains the upper hand in our thoughts, fear takes hold and of our emotions. And the next thing we're like, oh, we're, all, we're all worried about what's happening and what's going on around us. We can't see anything but the trouble in front of our eyes. And we're all confused. Our deliverance from fear and worry is based on faith. It's the opposite of unbelief. And we just studied that in John 14 when Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God Believe also in me. He said the cure for your troubled heart is faith. True faith. Honest faith. Not something that's just trumped up. It's a faith, a life-giving faith. The Christian's faith is a confident assurance that in a God who loves us, who knows our thoughts and cares about us in our deepest needs and wants to meet those deepest needs. If we are abiding in Jesus Christ, Scripture says that Paul wrote to the Philippians, and God shall supply all my need in Christ Jesus. If I'm abiding in him, I can expect all my need to be met. 
And my need is many. But what do I need the most? Salvation. I need salvation the most. Faith continues to grow as we study the Bible, as we learn the attributes of our amazing God and his character, and we learn more about God, we see more of him working in our lives. And as we see more of him working in our lives, guess what? Our faith gets stronger, and we believe even more. And our faith grows. That's why Peter said, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grow. Mature. Stop being a baby who wants nothing but milk. It's time to eat meat. Grow. Sorry, all you vegans out there. So as we read verses 15 and 16, we're going to see this woman now in action. Look at what happens. 15 and 16. So... She went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. The woman believing in what Elijah said, because he was saying as the Lord, he was speaking God's word, and whatever amount of faith she had, she did it. Do you know God has given us all a measure of faith according to what the Scripture says? And as we believe up to that measure of faith, what does he do? Gives you more. You believe up to that faith, he gives you more. He says, be faithful in the little things and I'll give you more. I'll give you more to be faithful in. I love that. He always wants us to believe. The woman believed and God provided for her miraculously. Not only did the flour never wear out, but the jar of oil never wear out. Please tell me what oil represents in Scripture. The Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit. Didn't Jesus say in John 13 or 14, I forget, that the Holy Spirit would be with them how long? Forever. Holy Spirit will God forever. Here, the, never runs out, does it? The oil never runs out. What does that tell me? That God's Spirit will never run out. It will always be coming towards us. It will always be coming to overflow in our hearts. It will always be ready to do exceedingly abundantly anything we can ever dream or ask. God's Spirit wants to continue to flow, and that's what's being said here. It'll never run out. Praise God. I can always rely on, on His Spirit to be there. Because He didn't make me hunt for it. He said, Dave I, know, Dave, I know you're a dunce. I know you're a goofball, and you misplaced my spirit if I didn't put it someplace where it would be always there. So he put it inside of me. I can't misplace him. It's there. So what does this tell us? God met this woman's need. God met this woman's need, and here he becomes Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. God the provider. And how do you even begin? How do you even begin to say Jehovah Jireh without going to Genesis 22? Without going to Genesis 22, when Abraham is told to take his son, his only son, up to the mountain, Mount Moriah, which, by the way, is where Jerusalem is built, which, by the way, is where Jesus' cross was. Go to Mount Moriah. I touched it, by the way. You know that. I touched Mount Moriah. He said, go, take your only son up there and sacrifice him to me. And the entire time they were walking and Isaac was carrying the sticks, and Abraham was convinced that even if he had to sacrifice his son, God would raise him from the dead. Abraham was convinced of that. And they got up there, and Isaac, they think, was about 33. He's a type of Christ. They think he was about 33 years old. And he says, Father, here's the wood. 
here's this. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And then those beautiful, beautiful, wonderful words. He said, if you read the King James, which is better than the New King James, at this point, he said, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. In the New King James, it says, the Lord will provide for himself. In mine, I took out that for. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. You know the picture. You know what it means. God has provided a sacrifice for our salvation. and His name is Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of our Lord, a beautiful picture. Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. God provides for you. As long as you are abiding in him, as long as you are following his commandments, and if you're not, he's still going to provide you in some way. He's still going to help you out because he's going to do that to draw you back to him. He's still going to do that. In the process of taking care of Elijah, he provided for the woman and her son. He kept them from dying. Remember what her, wor- her words were? I'm going to go home and make some cake and for me and my boy, and then we're going to die. But the Lord provided for them. Now, although the woman had little to share, God had much. God used an empty vessel. This woman was an empty vessel, and God filled it with his love, and God filled it with him. And look at the result. But he wasn't finished. He wasn't finished. We're going to read the rest of the chapter from 17 to 24. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of the arms and carried him up to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother, and Elijah said, See, your son lives. Wow. This is incredible. They experienced this incredible miracle. The woman makes the flour and the oil, and she makes the cake, and there's water, and it never runs out. It's a glorious miracle. So the days are happy, and they're all cheering and excited because the Lord did such a wonderful work, and this is great, and it's just wonderful, and her son dies. Wait a minute. But we're all cheerful. We're all happy. That's not supposed to happen. You know what happens when you're coming down from the mountain, don't you? You know what happens when you're on the mountaintop and you decide to come down? The adversary's waiting for you. And he's waiting for you and he's going to hurt you. He's going to get some way out of you because he wants you to remove all that wonderful faith and that has been built up on the mountaintop. 
And he wants to pounce upon you. And that's what happens. The woman's son gets sick and dies. There was no breath in him. Even though a great miracle happened, the woman was not immune from tribulation. Did you hear what I said? Even though she experienced a great miracle, she was not immune from tribulation. Jesus told his disciples that there would be tribulation in the world. But he gave them the answer first. I love it. In John 16, Notice what it says. It, he says to the disciples... I've told you these things that in me you'll have peace. There's the key right there. In me you'll have shalom right there. He tells them that. And then he says, in the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Many people just go, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. They're right. But he gives you the answer to the problem right off the bat. In me... You'll have peace, shalom. Abiding in me, you'll have peace. In the world, good luck. But I've overcome the world, so be a good cheer then too. I love that. Imagine the days were happy when, when God was providing for the entire household. There was a wonderful thing, yet those happy days were eventually just blasted away by a dark shadow. At the death of her son, the, the widow immediately blamed Elijah. Sadly, her thinking was wrong. It appears that she thought that the prophet came to her home when she was there. He, she was immune to problems. Come on, you can't tell me that every now and then you get that thought that you're immune to problems too. I read three chapters, prayed for an hour. Hey, nothing going to happen to me today. <laughs> okay. Her reactions and words to Elijah suggest another aspect which was so common. The more she directly blamed herself and the unnamed sin, whatever the sin was, the guilty memory was always close to her. Whatever her sin was, it was close to her. Because she didn't understand the scriptures about suffering. Maybe she thought the suffering was caused by sin. Perhaps there were skeletons in her closet. I don't know. What do I do to you, O man of God? Have you come to bring me iniquity and remembrance and put my son to death? What have I done to displease God? What have I done to deserve these things? She didn't understand. We tend to see suffering either as a product of random, meaningless pain or caused by sin. This results in living in a world of guilt and fear. In guilt and fear, Jesus clearly says, in me you'll have peace, but in this world you're going to have tribulation. Paul tells us that none's going to come to the kingdom except through suffering. Paul tells us that this is all going to happen. We hate to talk about it, and I do too, but we have to look at the scriptures here. Sometimes suffering is a discipline, or because we've broken principles of the scripture, we think. In other words, self-induced misery. Self-induced misery. One of the several causes that happens. This lady's thinking was wrong because her eyes weren't on the Lord. She took her eyes off the Lord, and she put her eyes on her Problem. Her expectations were wrong. I have a man of God living in my home. Nothing's going to happen to me. Everything's fine. I'm a Christian. Nothing's going to happen to me. Everything's fine. Maybe she felt guilty, thinking maybe she was to blame in some way. Her guilt and her pain took the form of despair. You know, She took a downward process. Pain is never wrong. It's only natural. And God allows it. He allows us to feel pain. The problem comes along when we allow the pain to twist our thinking. When we allow the, oh man, what did I do? What did I do? You are a sure.
Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of 1 Kings. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so that they're available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for times and directions. And if you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 1 Kings. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from 1 Kings. But until then, we encourage you to read through the Bible on your own and tune in next time on A Sure Hope.